0: not knowing who you are anymore and what you are supposed to do. Are you here this morning in suffering? Being in physical pain year after year after year. So the question this morning is, what is the gospel for you? Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 together. Let's pray as we open up God's word together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your holy word, may we not just read, but may we be changed by the goodness of this message. May your word overflow our hearts with gratitude and love for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This passage begins with Paul saying, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. If you're familiar with your Bibles and with 1 Corinthians, you know that um, the church that Paul is writing to, the Corinthian church, has a number of issues. And he's writing this letter to help them correct their course. And that they would correct their their actions and the the trajectory of the the, the congregation as, as a whole. And so as Chad preached from 1 Corinthians 2 last week, Paul strove to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here, in, towards the end of his letter, he once again is saying, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I've also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel that Paul strove to share. It was what was firstly important, and he strove to share nothing with them. But the truth is, Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. And so you have to ask yourself, is that the only thing you shared, Paul? And You, you, you flip through the book of 1 Corinthians, and he, he talks about marriage, he talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about a lot of different things. So how is it, Paul, that you, you are only talking gospel and nothing else? Well, I think Paul has a pretty big understanding of what the gospel is and the implications of the gospel. J.D. Greer has written that the gospel is not just supposed to be our ticket into heaven. It is supposed to be an entirely new basis for how we relate to God, ourselves, and others. It is to be the source from which everything else flows. See, the, the message of the gospel is absolutely the message for salvation for sinners. Yes and amen, it is the message for salvation for sinners. But it is not only the means of salvation. It is a source of everything that we are seeking to do in our lives as followers of Jesus. Let me put it to you in this way. An air compressor is a pretty effective tool. It it powers a lot of different tools from nail guns to uh, paint sprayers to wrenches. You can do a lot of things. The gospel is like the air compressor for the tools of the Christian life. From fighting sin, to enduring suffering, to growing in the fruits of the Spirit, to making disciples, all of them are attached to the source, the gospel. Without the gospel, we are unable to grow. We're unable to do the works of ministry that Scripture calls us to without the the powering of the gospel. So it is absolutely a message for salvation, but it is also a message for believers every day. So Paul says, I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received. The gospel is first and foremost news. The word gospel means good news. It is something that is received through spoken and written words and it is the type of news that when received it is life-changing. William Tyndale writes concerning this, uh, the gospel signified good, merry, glad and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh them sing, dance, and leap for joy. The gospel is good news received. It's good news. And it's talked about good news in a lot of different ways. In Matthew 4.23, it's the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. In Acts 10.36, it's the uh, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace. Acts 20.24, it's the gospel of the grace of God. Galatians 1.7, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1.13, it's the gospel of your salvation. The gospel, the good news expressed here by Paul, is the work of Jesus Christ. And the gospel message is totally incoherent, without a centrality on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the gospel, we are talking about the work of Jesus for the restoration of sinners. And so it is not what we do. The gospel is not our faith. The gospel is us not praying a prayer. The gospel is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel produces responses in people. It produces two primary positive responses in people, and we'll start where Paul starts. For the believers that Paul is writing to, it is the gospel in which they are standing. It is the good news that through which their whole life flows. The gospel, according to God's word, is not just for sinners to become saved, but is for saved people to become sanctified. Sanctified is a spiritual word, a religious word where we talk about becoming more like Jesus. The gospel is not just how you come to Jesus, it is the means by which you become like Jesus. This is how God is working in your life to make you more like him. And so when we look at the the method and the mode of the biblical letters, this is how they understood it. If you look at uh, Colossians 2, Paul is going to express the gospel and then explain how the gospel applies to us. Listen, uh, not 1 Corinthians, Colossians 2, uh, starting in 13, And you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them." That is the gospel. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, by what? Nailing it to the cross through the death of Jesus. This is the gospel. And then in verse 16, Paul then applies it to the believers. Therefore, because of what Christ has done for you, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. You see, it's the gospel that we are living in. And look, uh, Paul does this all over the place through the New Testament. Romans 5:1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, gospel, then what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8:1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the gospel that has given us the standing before God. Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his son, own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He didn't spare a son. Who does that apply to? The lives of believers who receive all things. Because of the gospel, this is how you were to view your life now. Because of the good news that you have received, Because you've been loved by God through the death of his son, you are now more accepted by God than you could possibly imagine. And so therefore, live in light of this. It is the means by which you are growing in your Christian life. That is the first response to the gospel. The gospel is also the message by which people are saved. The gospel produces salvation for sinners. At its core, the message is that God is reconciling people to himself making things right with people once again. Paul explains in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins. If you've been in any of our children's ministries in the past couple of years, we know that sin is anything we think, say, or do that disobeys God. Good. Parents, once you figure that out, it'll, be, it'll catch on. But it is more than that. Uh, in, in Ephesians, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 stick there for a couple of minutes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Sin is, is here, it's is two things as trespasses and sins. Um, sin is like having a, a target like a, what? and you're having a A bow and arrow, and you're firing the arrow at the target. Missing the mark is sins. They're they're falling short, they're going to the right and the left. But I I think it's more than that. It's not just merely missing the target, it's it's choosing to aim at the wrong target. It's It's not just missing the right target, it's choosing to aim at the wrong one. When I was younger, I do not condone this or recommend it, I was in an archery range at a summer camp. And I knew I wasn't going to hit the target, so I decided, I wonder how far I can fire this thing myself. And so I intentionally aimed well over the target, pulled it back, and let it sail off into the woods. I have not yet been arrested, so I must have missed. But this is the picture of sin. It's a deliberate missing of the mark. God sets the target as, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we aim for something else. God says, aim for integrity in your your life, and we aim for convenience and ease. God says, aim for purity, and we aim for pleasure. God says, aim for selflessness, and we aim for self. Trespass, if missing the mark of sin is the gentle word here, trespassing is probably the harder one on us. Trespass or transgression is like a picture of a barbed wire fence, a big barbed wire fence that says, got a big danger, no trespassing sign. Trespassing is looking at that danger sign and then looking for our wire cutters and going right on through. The truth is that God has placed barbed wire fences not just about certain actions, but around our heart, our attitudes, our thoughts. God puts barbed wire around the words you use. There are certain things that you should not He's saying, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. God puts barbed wire fences around the way you think about your parents. He calls you to respect and obey your parents. He puts barbed wire around pride. He, He tells you to not consider yourself more highly than you ought. He puts barbed wire around apathy. He says, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God puts a barbed wire fence around selfishness and says, love your neighbor. And what do we do? We look for the wire clutters and we go, clip. We transgress. We sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. First John one eight says, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We are sinners. And the wages of our sin is death. We are sinners. We were sinners in. We were dead in our transgressions. We need." to be saved. And this is death in an ultimate sense. It's not just physical death. It's not just spiritual death. This is total death, eternal death, final death. What we earn for ourselves with sinful actions is death. We deserve to die because we had rebelled against God himself. Uh, In Ephesians 2, once again, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. We were storing up for ourselves wrath. Wrath is God's hatred towards sin, his judgment on sin. And when Jesus is in the garden, praying the night he was betrayed. He's praying that God would take the cup from him. What Jesus is talking about is the Old Testament picture of God's stored-up wrath filling a cup. So every time someone sinned, the wrath of God, the anger of God, the justice of God, we added to this cup and added this cup. And Jesus knows what's coming, and he's praying, God, take this cup for me, but not my will, but your will be done. And when Jesus is on the cross, God takes the cup of his wrath, and he pours it out on Jesus. And Jesus drinks it to the last drop. He takes all of God's anger, all of God's hatred towards your sin and my sin and, sin and their sin and their sin. And he takes it on himself. And he bears the weight. He bears our punishment for our sins on the cross. You guys remember in June when there was those forest fires in Canada and the smoke was just swirling around? It felt like just St. John's. Um, it wasn't just St. John's, but it felt like it. No matter where you went, you saw it, you smelled it, you couldn't escape it. You went inside, you're like, am I at a campground? You went outside, no, I'm not in a campground. Uh, you saw it in the sky, the, the sky was hazy and red. You could not escape it, no matter where you went. Think of that smoke like the wrath of God. That was all of us before we came to Christ. We were underneath the weight of his wrath. We could not escape it. We smelled like it. It was part of us. What Jesus did, does on the cross, it is like he goes out on that, the worst day and he takes a deep breath and sucks in all the smoke onto himself. Takes all the wrath in himself so that we are no longer covered by it. This is why when Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's because all the condemnation was taken up onto Jesus. That is how we can be free from our sin, if you repent and believe in Jesus. Back to 1 Corinthians. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. How then does this gospel message apply to all aspects of our life? How, how does it work? How, how can that message, that the good news message that we received two, from 2,000 years ago, how can that affect the way I, I treat my neighbors now? How can that help me survive in an a employment that I, I just got a bad boss? How does it help you when you are tempted to sin how does that gospel help you today and I, I, I want to help us do that uh, James Bullmore is a pastor from Wisconsin he, he gives us a, a picture of how this works out um, in your notes you have uh, three concentric circles there might be one on the screen behind me there the center of that circle is the gospel this is gospel proper this is the message that is being preached by Paul in verses three and four For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and and was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. This is gospel proper, right? That is the center of everything we are trying to do. And then we go one more ring out, and we have gospel truths. Gospel truths are the implications that scripture outlines about what the gospel is accomplishing and doing for us through the gospel message. Jumping back to those Romans passages that I went to earlier. Therefore, this is Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's gospel proper, we've been justified by what God has done, what? Implication, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, we have peace. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore because of what Christ Jesus has done, there's there therefore no condemnation. Not less condemnation, God is less angry at you, there is none at all. No condemnation. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he all, how will he not also along with him graciously give all things? Gospel proper. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the gospel. Then, how will he he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's a gospel implication. That's a gospel truth, right? And then the third ring is gospel conduct, or gospel behavior. This is that the, the gospel would somehow affect the way that we live our life, our actions, our attitudes, our emotions, that the gospel is working in our life. Now there are some churches out there that will only talk about gospel center. They'll only talk about what Jesus has done through his work on the cross, and that's all they do. Other churches will only talk about gospel conduct, and if we're honest, it's not gospel conduct, it's just conduct. Rules that you have to follow. We do this because we're Christians. We don't do that because we're Christians. We look like this because we're Christians, right? With no connection to the gospel. But the truth is that all of these have to have a All parts present. It flows from the gospel to the conduct. And so let's practice this a a couple of times. We'll start with the sinner and we'll work our way out. Gospel proper. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus was sinless in his life. Not once did Jesus disobey God, disobey his parents. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength every moment of every day. The more you think about that, the more it blows your mind, Right? Every moment. Good news. What is the gospel truth? That you can receive his righteousness because he was perfect. He offers his perfect righteousness to you so that you can receive his righteousness and then have right standing with God. That is a gospel truth. How does that work in your conduct? How does that flow out into your life? Your value and position before God are not tied to how you feel like you're doing. Do you have a bad morning this morning? I did. But it's not that it's not tied to how you're doing because you were never accepted to begin with based upon how you were doing. It was never tied to whether or not you were saved by faith, not of your own works. We've got nothing to boast in but his righteousness that we've received. Right? Let's do it again. Back to gospel proper. Jesus died for our sins. That is good news. The gospel implication is that our offenses have been forgiven. That God has forgiven us. How does that work its way out into our conduct? Well, now we can forgive other people. Because we have been forgiven of so much, how can we therefore not forgive other people who have offended us? I've offended God this much. How can I not forgive someone who's offended me this much? One more time. Gospel Center. Jesus rose from the dead. That is good news. The implication is that you too will be raised from the dead if you are in Christ Jesus. Does uh, that work its way into your conduct? Because you know that you have resurrection. You are now free to give away your life for the things of God. Give it up. I can give my life today. I can give up what I want. I can give everything to God because I know that at the end of this, there is a resurrection for me because Jesus rose from the dead. Do we see? It flows out of the gospel through the truths to our conduct. And when we interact with one another, we are often interacting with another in the the area of conduct. It's what we see with our eyes. I see your works. I don't see your heart. And the Bible has a lot to say about our conduct, doesn't it? There's a lot of things that the Bible calls us to and calls us away from. But it has a lot to say about our conduct because it first has something to say about the center of the circle. If the Bible did not include the gospel message, we should not listen to it when it tells us how to treat our spouses. We should not listen to it if it doesn't tell. If it, um, as it's telling about our kids, if Jesus didn't really live a perfect life, die on the cross, and raise again on the third day, right? If it didn't, if the gospel's not true, then none of this matters, and we're the, to be the most embarrassed about what we're doing. So when we minister one to to one another, when we sh- work with one another, we are not try- just trying to deal with the conduct, right? We're trying to, trying to bring each other to Christ, and so we're trying to, as we work and encourage one another in the gospel, we have an opportunity to glorify Christ as we encourage one another. So if you have a, a brother who's fighting sin in his life, just over and over fighting sin, you don't just come to him and say, you just need to stop doing that, you need to do this thing, this thing, this thing, and this thing. Your goal is to glorify Christ and in, and say, look at what Christ has accomplished for you. He has freed you from the sin. You're no longer bound to sin. You don't have to live that way anymore. And you bring it back to the gospel, what God has accomplished for them, and then you work it out into their conduct. If you have a sister who's encouraging a discouraging season. You don't just say, oh, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You can do this. You, you can, I did this, so you should be able to do this. No, we, we go to the gospel. What has Christ already accomplished for you? As your pastors, we maybe see you two or three hours a week, but you are all in each other's life day in and day out. And the call for each of you is to preach the gospel to one another in all circumstances. And this does not change when we are interacting with an unbeliever. If an unbeliever comes to you, a coworker, or a friend, a neighbor, and says, "I'm I'm struggling with my marriage, or I'm struggling with my job," we don't just say, "Well, here are some good rules for you to follow. This is how I can fix your life today." No, our, our goal is then to bring them to the center of the circle. Say, I tell you what, it is hard, what you're going through. We get the opportunity to point them to Christ and say, this is what Jesus has done for me, he has died for my sins, he rose on from the dead, and because he did for that, for me, I know that I am more deeply loved than I can possibly imagine. And that even when things don't go my way, with my wife, my kids, my boss, whatever it may be, that I, I can maintain hope i can maintain joy that's not because i'm so good right this isn't because we're we figured out we're the smart ones no we have received a free gift see the, the gospel is exactly what we need to be saved and praise god that through his sovereign grace he has loved us has he not jesus saves But this is just as true for me. This gospel message is just as true for me and just as important for me as a 33-year-old pastor in this church. And it's the same gospel I'm going to need at 43 and 53 and 63 and 73 and 83 and 93, and I don't think I'm going to get there, but 103. It's the same gospel we need to cling to. Tim Keller says the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A through Z. Friends, we don't move beyond it. It is our hope for the future, absolutely, but it's our hope for today. It's our joy for the future, knowing that we will one day walk in the new heaven and new earth and we will see Jesus face to face, but today, he says, we can have joy because of what he has already accomplished for us. It is the grounds for our relationships together. It's the means by which I am called to love and care for you and the means by which you are called to love and care for one another. It's the confidence we can have in the future and it's the means by which tomorrow I can be more like Jesus than I was today. Friends, as we center ourselves in the gospel, as we minister one another, as we share the gospel, proclaim it in every part of a life, we are connecting to what Paul calls the power of God for those who believe. The gospel is the power of God who would believe. Can you imagine what this family, this body would be like if every day we were going to one another and saying, man, Christ has died for you. Christ has lived for you. He took your sins, you're accepted. And that's what we're drawing people to. And as we're bringing people to Christ, we're we're going out we're sharing with people who don't know Christ. St. John's wouldn't have a chance. Clinton County wouldn't have a chance. This world doesn't have a chance against the gospel. The gospel will stand forever. The good news is always true. It has been always true and will be always true. So friends, let us cling to the gospel. God is good and has done a great thing for us. May we respond in the joy that the gospel requires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news. God, I thank you for living a perfect life when I could not. God, I thank you for dying on the cross, my death, taking my punishment, and I thank you for the righteousness I have received through your sacrifice, and I thank you for the resurrection that I received through your resurrection. May we be a body, may we be a church that clings to you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.